thanks, Kathy. Thanks, worship team, for everything to get our hearts prepared for what I trust God wants to do today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Rumbly. Uh, it's such an honor and privilege to be one of the pastors on staff here at Crossview. Normally, I get to be leading worship, but uh, it's, it's such a joy to be able to bring God's word to our hearts today. Uh, pray with me, if you would. Father, we humbly bow our hearts before you as we gather together in your presence this morning. We recognize you as our maker, our great king, and we thank you for waking us up today, filling our lungs with breath, allowing us to gather here to worship and grow together. Father, please use these next few moments today to speak to us. We desire and we need to hear your words, God. May you have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ecclesiastes 3, uh, verse 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. And I think we've probably all done a bit of both this week, right? Uh, maybe a little more weeping. It's been a hard, uh, hard week here, but uh, we get to have church today. <laughs> so that's a good that's good. Uh, we're, we're getting there. But I thought maybe it would be a time to laugh, so I've got one dad joke for you, if that's okay. Uh, it's a worship pastor's dad joke, I would say. Um, you ready? Okay. Uh, <laughs> what is a dentist's favorite hymn? Crown him with many crowns. Come on. That's good. That's good. I heard somebody say, aw, all right, you want one more? <laughs> no? <laughs> I heard no from the front row. I'm going to give you one more. <laughs> uh, what's a salesman's favorite scripture passage? The Great Commission. <laughs> we could go all day, guys. <laughs> so, a time to laugh. Uh, you know it's a really different and crazy week around town when people are texting you saying, hey, do you and your family want to come shower at our house? Uh, like, uh, not really, but, uh, <laughs> but it was sure helpful this week to have, have that opportunity with friends when we didn't have any water. Uh, what power nature wielded against our town this last week? Uh, it was amazing to drive around and just see uh, all of the uh, the trees down, massive trees, some of them twisted and thrown down to the ground. It's, uh, it was pretty crazy to see. And uh, perhaps some of you had a moment like me this week where I thought to myself, I'm not really in control here. Not really in control. And uh, I can't get too attached to the beautiful trees in my yard or to my house or to my sense of relative security here. Uh, it is possible for any of these things to be gone in a moment. Big questions swirled like, why did this happen? How did this happen? What if a tree had caused far greater harm to my home or to my family? Am I ready for the unexpected? And the reality is, uh, the welling up in our hearts of all these sorts of thoughts and questions, it's a good thing for us, though it was hard to go through the things that, that took place for many of us, um, damage to property and all that. But it's a, it's a helpful thing for us to be in this place. In times of trouble, we rightly turn our attention to matters of real importance, don't we? Matters of family, matters of faith, matters of our purpose, our mortality, our destiny. Here's the thing. We desperately need 
to understand our existence and purpose, how we got here, what we exist for. And when we figure it out, uh, we find stability and direction that we need for every challenge in life and even beyond. And we can answer a question like this one. If life is a song, what is the melody? I know it's a little metaphorical, but go with me here. If life is a song, what is the melody? So in, in music, the melody is that sequence of notes that makes up that musical thought being conveyed by the song, right? Those notes paired up with certain lyrics sort of drive the song. If somebody says, how does that song go again? Uh, tell me how it goes. They're, they're asking you for the melody. You know, how, how, does it, how does it go? What are the lyrics set to that specific uh, sequence of notes that makes up the song that I know? Um, have you ever listened to someone's really weird version of the national anthem? You know, and they changed all the notes around, and you're like, oh, man, what did they do? They ruined a great song here. Um, we don't like when they, they mess with our tunes, right? Uh, we get really used to certain melodies, and we fall in love with certain melodies. We love our, our songs. Things like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Doesn't that feel good? We love that melody. We love that. Um, it's things like the happy birthday song that we all know. And it's really sort of cool. It's beautiful because we all know that sequence of notes and we know those words and we can share in that song together, uh, you know, at gatherings all over the place. Just don't expect a good rendition at a restaurant from a group of servers, right, who are being forced and paid to sing the song. Ooh, we've seen that go really sideways every now and then. <laughs> um, but the question about the melody of life is really a question of spiritual worldview. What are the simple, important spiritual notes about our lives that we must know to sing the song of our lives correctly? How does God intend the song of our lives to go? So if you would, turn to Psalm 95. It's uh, page 524 in the Worship Center Bible. We're going to take a look at this psalm today. Uh, the psalms give us so much help in understanding the worship of God, the many prayers and poems and hymns that we find there of God's people uh, help us. They reveal the substance, the purpose, and the feel of worship. They help us to put emotion alongside knowledge and understanding to help us know how to approach God in worship. Verse 1, Psalm 95. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. Whether in life or in songs, God deserves our full engaged hearts, doesn't he? Right? 
Uh, sometimes if you've been in a conversation with someone, you can tell that they're not really in the conversation. They're kind of drifting off. They're thinking about what they're going to say. Um, but God deserves our full attention. When we're talking to him, when we're worshiping him, the expression that we bring to our worship can help us be present with God. There are many avenues of worship, right? It's far wider and deeper a concept than our time singing together here. All of the moments of our lives that we live for his glory are worship. We don't have to shout or even sing for our praises to be heard by God, right? If it's a quiet moment, let it be quiet. If it's a solemn moment, let it be solemn. Praise God. But if it's a celebration moment, right? If it's a triumphant moment, a corporate moment of exuberant praise, then let's shout. Let's sing. Let's make sure they hear us across town and that anyone visiting here clearly understands that we love Jesus in this place, that we're on fire. He's the most important thing here. We're filled with excitement over forgiveness of sin and our eternal hope in Jesus. There are many things and many people that I hold dear in this life, but God's the greatest. Jesus is the best. Uh, he's worthy of my enthusiastic praise. Number one on your outline then is, God is worthy of my enthusiastic worship. Our shouts, our songs, they help us with our expression of joy in God. He gave us our emotions, right? He knows how we're wired. He knows how good it is for our hearts to come to him with singing and shouting. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce comments on this this way. There are other ways to worship, of course, but a natural and proper way to worship him is with joy and enthusiasm. Joy and enthusiasm. Uh, some may say that we need to guard our worship against being too expressive, that we need to be much more focused on the content, so much more about the content that our expression must be kept in careful check so we don't look like we're having too much fun, we don't get too crazy, right? Like the rest of the world uh, is, is in their parties, we don't want to look like that. But I'm crazy for Jesus, amen? I'm crazy for Jesus. I want to party in his presence. He's worthy of my exuberant praise, for sure there are some expressions that would not be appropriate, others that would not be doctrinally sound, but I'm confident we can have both praise filled with truth and filled with bold expression, emotion of our love for God, our reverence of him. However we worship, it must be honest and it must display reverent humility and genuine enthusiasm for God and his glory. Zeal, passion, fervor. So don't hold back. Or you might hurt yourself, right? You might hurt yourself. It might be dangerous for your spiritual health, kind of like holding back a sneeze can be bad for you, they say, right? That pressure all has to go somewhere, but it feels pretty good to let that sneeze fly, right? I wish you'd just let it fly. <laughs> <clears throat> So in our worship, let's let his praises fly, amen? Let's let his praises fly. Praise the rock of our salvation. 
as our passage mentions. So the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt. God was their rescuer, right? He provided for them on their journey away from Egypt and toward the promised land. And Jesus is our rock of salvation. He has rescued us from slavery to sin and has provided us with forgiveness as we embark on our journey toward eternity in God's kingdom. One commentator says, in God we find a rock of firm and certain salvation. For believers, there's peace and security in him and in his salvation. Look at verse 3. It helps us with another basic answer as to why God is worthy of our enthusiastic praise. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. In himself, apart from all that he's done for us, we find one who is worthy, right? Even if we weren't in the picture, he is great and worthy, great in importance and in might. God is great and above all, number two in your outline. Great and above all. The pagan cultures of the time ascribed greatness to gods who were really no gods at all. In fact, the one true God made the created features of the universe and of our world, which were the substance of these supposed gods and their power. But there's only one God, and he's king over all. And we live under his rule of all things. Here's the thing. We can't truly worship God until we can look upon him in the right way, recognizing that he stands alone in sovereign greatness. He stands alone in sovereign greatness. I like the way Psalm 86 puts it in verses 8 through 10. Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders You alone are God. So heart check. Have you set God apart from everyone and everything else as the greatest in your life? Is there anyone or anything else that you bow before in this life? And that seems like a simple question. I'm not bowing before anything else, but idolatry is alive and well in our culture, isn't it? Right? Bowing before the altars of comfort, entertainment, security, happiness, pleasure, you name it. Have you set God apart from everyone and everything else as the greatest in your life? Because he's worthy of being the greatest in each of our hearts and lives. Right? So we've been called to worship this great God enthusiastically because he's the rock of our salvation. He alone is great. And because, number three, God made the earth, right? Nobody else did this. Verse four and five, the depths of the earth are in his hand. The mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. From the lowest points to the highest points, it all belongs to God. He made it all, and so it all belongs 
to him. It all belongs to him. Just like the artwork that you paint is called yours and displays your skill. Just like the song you write is called yours and displays your creative ability. God made everything. And it displays the wonder, majesty, creativity, power, and might of our great God. And this should lead us to worship him. Right? The world, the home that we enjoy, he made it. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. We have the privilege of living here. This should lead us to worship. But he didn't just make everything that's around us. The Lord is our maker. He's our maker, maker, and we too belong to him. So verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. All right, so if, if you don't mind, I want to sing you this song, or a song that's written based on some of these uh, ideas from these verses. Would that be all right? They told me I had to speak today, but I thought, I really want to sing. So. (laughs) If you know it or you catch it, sing along. Let us worship and bow down Before the Lord most holy Before the King of glory Come and lay your burdens down Before the friend who's faithful Before the one who's able For He is our God And we are His people He is our God And we will never be forsaken one of those warm blanket songs for me. I love it. Come, let us lift our voice in praise unto the rock of ages, unto the God who saves us. Come, And glorify his name All the earth together All the saints forever You are our God And we are your people You are our God and we will be with you 
Just help your heart. Amen. Amen. I love that song. It helps me express and say what's in this psalm. It helps me remember that God made and cares for me. Number four. Don't ever overlook the blessing that it is to belong to God. Some would find that notion constraining, wouldn't they? Uh, They would think a life without God would be better. It would be more free. But in a world where God made us, the truth is we find the greatest fulfillment in life when we honor our maker. We actually find the greatest freedom when we simply embrace his purpose for us to glorify him. So heart check here. Have you discovered how hard it is to manufacture your own fulfillment? Yeah. God made us. He knows us. He knows what it's going to take for things to feel right in this life for us. We have a purpose. We were made to glorify him. Have you discovered how hard it is to manufacture your own fulfillment? The amount of work and sacrifice it takes to try and secure your own freedom the difficulty there is in trying to find life-worthy purpose apart from God. I don't want to make that kind of effort. Bow down. Kneel before your maker. As you trust him, you will find perfect pasture. In him, you'll find streams of living water. When you have a shepherd like God, just eat and drink where he leads you. Will you find better care anywhere else or in anyone else? No. But we're easily fooled, aren't we? Easily fooled into thinking that there is pleasure abounding out there apart from God, and many people have wasted their lives running after it only to discover a great, great emptiness. Read Ecclesiastes, right? And we'll discover uh, how the wise King Solomon discovered that our earthly pursuits amount to nothing apart from a right relationship with God. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, the conclusion of the matter is this, we read, fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. God knows what is best. And so for my own good, number five, God deserves and demands my trust. God deserves and demands my trust. Now we're getting to the end of this last section of Psalm 95, and it should be noted that verses, um, verses 8, actually the end of verse 7 through verse 11, 
are really uh, commented on extensively in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, through chapter 4, verse 13. And a lot of this psalm is, is placed right in there, uh, in Hebrews, in those chapters. And so I encourage you to go and read that whole thing later. But we learn some really important things from that passage. Uh, while some passages in Scripture are really directed at a certain audience in a different time and place, what we learn in Hebrews is that this passage in Psalm 95 is, is directly given to us as well. We are supposed to look back on the hearts of those who have gone before us and how they responded to God. We are supposed to then evaluate our own hearts in light of what we saw in them. Uh, in, in the psalm, the rescue and future of the Israelites in the promised land is the historical example on display, but it's correlated directly in Hebrews to our rescue from sin through Christ and our future rest in God's kingdom. So let's, let's take a look again at verses 7 through 11 here of Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Maribah, as on that day at Massah in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. This section of the psalm starts with today. And we can look at that meaning today, right now. Don't harden your heart. The passage is saying, look at what happened to those who've gone before you. This is referencing when the Israelites were led out of slavery in Egypt and toward the promised land. Verse 9 is really clear. They had seen what God did. They saw and experienced firsthand the miracles that plagued Egypt. They experienced God's mighty hand carrying their enormous caravan of people to safety. They saw God lead them away from Egypt in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They were carefully shepherded by God toward the promised land. But they got cranky. They got whiny. They tested God's patience with complaining. After all he had done, the people complained about food. We read about it in Exodus 16. They complained about water. We read about it in Exodus 17. And in both cases, God actually miraculously provided exactly what they needed. Exodus 16:4, God says, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, manna. And they were able to eat each morning. And Exodus 17:6, I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb, God says to Moses, when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. But that place where Moses struck the rock and water poured out was given two names that we read in this passage, Meribah and Massah. And they mean quarreling and testing. Quarreling and testing. 
They quarreled with Moses over resources, and they tested God with their complaining, showing their sinful unbelief. The problem was this. Even though they had every reason to trust God, they lived in unbelief when things got tough. They lacked faith in their hearts, and it led to God's disgust with a whole generation. Isn't it sad? They were supposed to be God's chosen people, but their hearts, as verse 10 says, went astray. And the result was horrific. Ultimately, this unbelief meant that they did not get to enter the promised land. They died in the wilderness because of unbelief. So for our hearts today, Hebrews chapter 4 looks back on this passage and has a warning for our hearts. It reads this way. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. Brothers and sisters, if we proclaim to be believers in and followers of Jesus, we cannot live in unbelief. And God knows our hearts. And he deserves and demands our trust. But this is good for us. There's good news here too. Because we find out in Hebrews 4.9, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. And then in verse 11, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. A pattern of disobedience might indicate a heart of unbelief. Difficulty, trusting God in hardship may indicate a heart of unbelief. The position of our hearts in relationship to God directly impacts our eternal destiny, right? We can't fool God. So, recognize the melody of life today. See the simple spiritual realities, the notes that define our worldview. We have been made by God. Therefore, we are owned by God. The world does not revolve around you or I. The world revolves around our maker, our one great God. We must accept him, and we must approach him on his terms. One commentary psalms up this entire psalm in this single statement, saying, because God is sovereign over all, we must submit to his demand for obedience. Praise God. We have a maker and an owner who treats us as beloved family members in Christ. Amen? We have a perfect shepherd who desires to help us, to help us to find perfect pasture and ultimate refreshment in him forever. Praise God. You see, it all comes down to Jesus, right? It all comes down to Jesus. Approaching God on his terms means putting Jesus at the center and on the throne of our lives. I love the way Colossians chapter 1 sort of summarizes some of this worldview with some big ideas about Jesus. 
verse 16, all things have been created through him and for him. And then summarizing verse 20 of Colossians 1, because of sin, he worked to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross for all of us. He paid the penalty for our sin. And then in verse 22 of Colossians 1, now we can be presented holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Verse 23, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Look, this is Jesus. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. What care for us. The ultimate demonstration of love for us we find in Jesus. Laying down his life, going to the cross for us. So about that melody, all the notes are found in Jesus. So our question is, if life is a song, what is the melody? Jesus is the melody. If life is a song, Jesus is the melody. Amen? Amen. It's Jesus. He made us. He saves us. He cares for us. And he will eternally provide for us. As our passage reads, friends, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you see yourself standing in unbelief today, humbly express your faith in Jesus to God. Seek out a Christian leader here or somewhere else in your life to help you grow and live out this faith in Jesus. As our passage reads today, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. Let's pray. Father, we come, we bow our hearts low before You, We recognize you, Lord, as our maker, savior, and song of our lives. Would you help us to sing the song of bringing you glory well today and each day as we keep you at the center of our lives? Would you help us to sing the song of your glory well today in how we love you and love others and serve the world? Father, would you bless any who came in here today struggling with unbelief to bow and entrust their lives to you through faith in Jesus. And Father, would you now fill our praise with a bold energy for your renown and glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.